How are we all doing? Happy Valentine's. I hope it's off to, uh, to a good start. It's a real privilege to be here with you today, and um, we are at the conclusion of a three-part series simply titled Stronger. And uh, I'm going to kick us off in Luke chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn there. Uh, the key verses we've put up on the screen for those of you still getting to know your Bibles, those of you maybe forgot your Bible at home, and uh, we would love you to uh, keep up with us. And so Luke chapter 10, verse 25, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And we'll dot around, so uh, if you'd like to know what's coming, we're going to spend a bit of time in 1 Corinthians. We're going to spend a bit of time in 1 John as well. Those are all letters that come later in uh, the Scriptures. And so Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it's, it's, it's a great story um, about Jesus telling a story. But we're just going to dive straight in. Luke 10, verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is, that is, that is a great question. I assume that this uh, lawyer, and when you hear lawyer, don't think uh, Chris Foote, who does have a legal degree, or Yvonne, or someone else like that. Don't think uh, someone who operates primarily in the law court. This was someone who was an expert in the law and the holy scriptures of Israel. So you can think of a, uh, of, of, of a, a church leader or a seminary professor. But this expert in the law, he comes to Jesus. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life. And I assume that this expert in the law, he had probably attended Stronger Part 1, and he had heard from Calvin magnificently about how we can be like Caleb at 80 years old, still saying, give me some mountains to conquer. Isn't that pretty cool? I think that's a great vision for our physical health. And that is so relevant to what God has called us to. I'm reminded of the story of a man called Robert Murray McShane, and uh, he, he uh, I want to get the details right for you, after gra graduating from Edinburgh University at age 14 in 1827, and leading a Presbyterian congregation of over a thousand at age 23, he worked so hard that his health finally broke. Before dying, at age 29, he wrote this. This is important, just get this. He wrote, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse and now I cannot deliver the message. If you can hear the sound of my voice this morning, God's got a call on your life. There's a message that he wants you to deliver. And we're excited as a church that God's given us a message to deliver in the course of this year to the unreached peoples of Nairobi and to the unreached people groups of this great nation of Kenya. He's given us a message to deliver. He's given us a horse to ride. That's our bodies that we've got to look after. And if we fail to do that, then we're going to fail to deliver the message. So I want to encourage us, last week we got our uh, body mass indexes, indices checked, and our blood sugar checked, and our cholesterol checked, and our all kinds of things being checked. Why? Because God's given us a mission, and as part of that mission he's called us to, we want to make sure that we're in the best shape 
that we can be. Last week, too, we had a great message, part two of the series. Cephas did a superb uh, job from 1 Kings chapter 19, looking at the story of Elijah. And he encouraged us to remember that we are human. He encouraged us to be real. He encouraged us to, to find God in our story. So he spoke in the last couple of weeks about being spiritually, about being, sorry, physically stronger and about being emotionally stronger, both because those are a key part of whatever God has called you to do, his unique calling on your life. And this week, we want to pick up this question of the uh, lawyer, which is essentially, what must I do to get spiritually stronger? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's not just asking about how do I get to heaven when I die. Behind his question, he's saying, look, what is life all about? What does it mean to truly live, to truly be alive? And Jesus says that's, that's a great question. This is how he answers it. Verse 26, Jesus says, okay, okay. You want to know how to inherit eternal life? You're, you're, you're an expert in the law, right? And so Jesus says, Mr. Expert in the law, you tell us what is written in the law. How do you read it? Now listen, that's a lot of laws that Jesus was referring to. There were 2,000 verses of legislation and law. And so this expert in the law, he comes to Jesus, he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you're the expert in the law, what does the law say? 2,000 verses, where do you even start? You see, for those of you who've been following Christ for a while, some Christians tend towards complexity. They teach us that in church planting school, that, you know, churches, groups of Christians tend towards complexity. And Christianity tends towards complexity. It, 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 it can feel incredibly complicated because, man, you've got you've to read your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to fast. You've got you've to do fellowship. And you've got to do solitude. You've got to serve. You've got to give. You've got you've to do all kinds of things. And in the midst of all of this, it's easy to lose track of what actually is it all about. And that might be you this morning. So many things going on. It's easy to lose track about what is it all about. And for those of you who are either new believers or not yet believers, and you're thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm here I want to find out a bit more about Christianity and a bit more about this following Jesus, what is it all about? Well, this conversation is a great place to start. Because Jesus throws the question back at him. And I love his answer. It's a great answer. The lawyer answered, it's about two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And the second thing is about loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've got it. You've got it. Love God and love people. Do this and you will live. Case closed, sermon over. It is really that simple. But then it gets even more interesting because the lawyer, the expert in the law, he asks a, a follow-up question. 
And the question is this, ah, okay, 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 do this and you shall live. And he says, yeah, 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 but, <laughs> wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, um, who is my neighbor? Can you imagine a hush falling across the audience? Because that is actually a profound question. You see, friends, we're living in days where the nation of Kenya is polarized, is it not? That's why we talk about a Building Bridges initiative, if you missed that. But as I traveled in even the pre-COVID era, it's just been backed up in the COVID era, I would travel to South Africa and to, to England and to the United States, and, and people would be telling me in South Africa, the nation of South Africa is more polarized than it's ever been before. And if you go to the UK post-Brexit, they will tell you the nation of England is more, of the United Kingdom is more polarized than ever before. If you watch CNN, you'll see that the nation of, of, of the United States of America is more polarized than ever before. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is where you see the profound nature of Scripture and its incredible penetrating insight into our worlds and its relevance to what we're going through. You see... If you stand up and say, hey, everyone, love your neighbor. Most people will not have a problem with that. If you go around telling people, love your neighbor, just love one another, just love one another. If you, if you put on your Twitter feed, can't we all just love one another? You'll get a few likes, won't you? I like that, I like that, I like that, I like that, I like that. But where the controversy starts isn't with love your neighbor. The controversy starts with uh, who is my neighbor? <laughs> because how you define that separates pro-life and pro-choice. Did you know that? It separates one political party from another political party. You see, if I am a Kikuyu, which I am not, and you tell me love my neighbor, I've got no problem with that. Unless my neighbor is you know who, <laughs> then I have a problem with that. See, with abortion, it's about how you define your neighbor. Some people define your neighbor as the unborn fetus. Some people define the neighbor as the woman carrying an unwanted pregnancy. And so this question, who is my neighbor, is absolutely profound, a profound question requiring a profound answer, an answer so profound, I don't think it could have been answered with a single statement or a single verse of scripture, but Jesus draws us into this incredible story, and as he answers this question, I'm going to pray for us that God would give us insight into what he wants to communicate. Father God, we pray again right now for this morning. God, some of us have traveled far, some of us have traveled very far, some of us have traveled from near to be here to sit under your word. We ask that you would make much of this moment. We ask that you would not waste it. God, we pray that as we gather around your word, that Jericho walls in our hearts would come tumbling down before the force, the reality the quality and the intensity of your love for us. God, we want to receive this. We want to experience it. 
And as best we know how, we ask you for it. And we open our hearts to you and to your word. And everyone said, Jesus replied this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. I think it was about a 17-mile stretch that dropped 3,300 feet. And as it wound around, uh, robbers would wait uh, behind rocks and nooks and crannies on the road for bystanders or, 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 or passers-by to, to, to come and then pounce on them. You won't believe this man's luck. Even though he's been beaten, stripped, left half dead, the very next person to come along, how cool is this, is a priest. And you can imagine the people listening to Jesus' story going, a priest, hooray, three cheers for the priest who's going to save the day. Hip, hip. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The purpose of Jesus' stories is to draw you and I in so that we can see ourselves. And by way of com confession, I want to communicate to you that at this point in the story, I have to stop. And I say, you know, that could be me. Driving along see someone prone on the road. Can't tell whether they're conscious or unconscious. It's late, getting close to curfew. You gonna stop? Get out your car, see what's going on? Or drive by on the other side? Am I saying you should stop? I'm not saying you should stop. Am I saying you should drive by? I'm not saying you should drive by. I'm saying that this story draws us in and encourages us to look at our hearts. And say, who, who am I like in this story? The scripture's backed up so well by uh, Paul. We're talking about love as well. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And this lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? And Paul in classic Paul style in 1 Corinthians 13, he, he, he starts talking about love. And the first thing he says about love is he says, guys, this, this is really, really important. And uh, the team on the overhead, this 1 Corinthians 13 may be a bit further up, so uh, you may need to go up, back up to, to find it a little bit. But 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, hey, team, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, if I, can, if I can preach up a storm, if I understand many different languages, 
but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I might have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. I might have a faith that can move mountains, but if I don't have love, Paul says, I am nothing. Paul says, I can even have a passion for social justice and mercy ministry and the poor. And I can give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. But if I have not love, I gain nothing. You picking up a theme here? Without love, I am nothing. What is the great greatest commandment it's well it's it's two and it's love and it's love and then Paul begins to unpack what love is for you and I on Valentine's Day and Paul says love is giving your wife flowers on Valentine's Day morning. (laughs) And it's taking your husband out to his favorite restaurant after church on Sunday morning. You know, if if it was that simple, I might do okay, might not. Tash, we have to hurry afterwards, by the way, so no talking to people, just go straight to the car and... Because Paul, Paul, he begins to unpack love is patient, love is kind. And as we go through this passage, a great test, if we see, we're going to do some vital signs. You did your BMI, your cholesterol, and your, and, your, and your blood sugar levels. Well, now we're going to look for two vital signs that you're spiritually healthy, that you're spiritually strong. And vital sign number one is this, do you love others? When I read the story of the Good Samaritan, I think to myself, I'm not sure, so sure that I love others because I look a bit too much like the priest and like the Levite. And then I run to Paul and say, Paul, maybe you can rescue me from this failure. And Paul says, without love, Mbonisi, you are nothing. Without love, you gain nothing. Without love, it's all in vain. And Mbonisi, love is patient. And a great exercise, a great, the way you're going to check yourself spiritually. You all know how to take your pulse? Now you're going to take your spiritual pulse by going through 1 Corinthians 13. And the way you check is where you see love, you should be able to just substitute your name. Did you know that? Without it sounding like a comedy routine. Because, friends, I struggle to get past number one myself. You probably do better. If you say to my wife, Tash, would you describe Mbonisi as patient? (laughs) She would giggle. I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about me. We're going to talk about you in a second. Let's just talk about me. When I'm in Nairobi traffic and I'm late for a meeting and someone cuts it in front of me, I do not 
go, God bless you, my dear brother. I'm sure you've had a rough day in the office and there's somewhere that you need to get to. That is more important than where I need to get to. God bless you. Be at peace. That is not me, unfortunately. I struggle to get past number one. Pictures of patience in the Bible. The heart of God. We're going to get to this. This is where we're tracking towards. But the heart of God towards people like you and me is patience. People said, Jesus, he's hanging around with the wrong kinds of people. His, his neighbors are friends and sinners, and he are, 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 are sinners and tax collectors, and he's loving them. We have a problem with that. And Jesus told them this story. He told them that he, I love you. You've got to go to Luke chapter 15. It blew me away once again. But Jesus says, um, hey, listen. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep, and one of them goes missing. Won't he go looking for it? (laughs) And at that point, I think, I'm not so sure, okay? If I've got a hundred sheep and it's the end of the day, (laughs) Jesus graciously assumes that I would go looking for it. Now, most of you would by the stunned silence in this room. But by way of confession, the way I am wired, I'm not, I'm not naturally patient. I, 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 when, if, 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 I, if, if I'm counting sheep, you know how hard it is to count sheep? Uga at the back, the one time I thought Uga was upset with me was last Sunday. I walked up and said to Uga, Uga, tell me this. He says, no, no, no. I said, Uga, just, and he's like, no, no, no. I was like, oh, maybe I've offended Uga, I'm not sure. Then he came to me 10 minutes later and said, sorry, I was counting the communion cups. And when I'm counting, I've, 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 I've got to be focused on that. And so that's why, you know, I was, I was like, oh, okay. I'm like. Now, if you're counting sheep, you count sheep at the end of the day. The sun has said it's been a long day. You've got them all into the pasture. And you're like, 97, 98, 99. 97, 98, 99. Mm. All right, sheep, who's missing? It's Sean the sheep. Oh, man, it's always Sean who goes missing. The patient shepherd, he goes looking for the sheep. Over hill and valley. And I, I, I might do that, but what blows me away is when he finds the sheep. This is what blows me away. When he finds the sheep, Jesus says, this shepherd joyfully puts it on his shoulders and carries it back and says, rejoice with me. My sheep was lost, but now it's found. Jesus says, wouldn't you do that? And I'm like, no, Jesus, I must confess, I would not. When I found that sheep, I would say, Sean, what is wrong with you? 99 of the other sheep managed to get themselves home and you are here lost. Get your sorry sheep self back to the sheepfold. And if there's a celebration of my friends, you will be on the spit. 
by way of confession, that's the way that I am naturally wired. I'm not patient. Are you kind? Do you envy? Michael Eaton observes that there's a spirit of rivalry deep within each of us. It was a problem for Joseph and his brothers. Do you not boast? Are you not proud? Are you not rude? Are you not self-seeking? Are you not easily angered? Do you keep no record of wrongs? Love does not delight in evil. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, you know, it's just in, in our human nature. The classic joke, isn't it, is there's a banana peel on the ground. A man is walking along and slips on it. Is that not the classic joke? Why is that? How many gifts and, 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 and short clips on YouTube are someone falling down or hurting themselves? And we're like, yes! I'm not saying don't laugh at the clips. I'm not saying it's sinful to send those clips around. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just asking God by his spirit to shine his light in our hearts today. It doesn't delight in evil when evil happens to, to people around us, even those who have wronged us, even those who annoy us, even those who irritate us. But it rejoices with the truth. Love, is this you? You always protect. You always trust. You always hope. You always persevere. Friends, love never fails. Michael Eaton on his commentary on 1 Corinthians 13 says this. I, I love it. He says, he says, if you're sitting there thinking, well, don't know what you're thinking, but Michael Eaton says this. He says, friends, no one can have a totally happy conscience after reading 1 Corinthians 14 through 7. We are the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 at every point. Is this not so? Vital sign, how are you at loving others? Because chances are, friends, chances are, if you took a poll on the streets of Nairobi, you and I included, polled 100 people and said, are you a nice person? Most people, if they were say, yeah, I think I'm a pretty nice person. Are you a loving person? Yeah, I think I'm a pretty loving person. See, it's easy to be loving in your own head. But we need the revelation of God's word and of God and his son to show us what love is. And then we need opportunity to interact with the children of God in a local church setting to know just how loving we are. Same with physical health. Are you fit? Yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably fit. Until I go mountain biking with Sean and Calvin, which I did five years ago, and I've not been invited back since. <laughs> Come mountain biking, they said. It's great fellowship, they said. 
little did they tell me it was through tea on hills. And I'm panting. I can't take it. Calvin is absolutely merciless. He just keeps on going. Sean would stop every five minutes or so to make sure I was still alive and breathing that they hadn't killed the church planter in the process. And then keep on going. Oh, it's easy to be fit on your couch. <laughs> but here's the thing about 1 Corinthians 13. We read it at weddings. We read it at Princess Diana's funeral. We, we, we just love it. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But this chapter 13 is actually in a letter to a local church. It's embedded between chapter 12, which is about the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ, and chapter 14, which is about how to use those gifts when the people of God gather together. In the middle of that, Paul says, this is how you know what love is. Friends, the Christian life is inescapably corporate. So there are two vital signs we're looking at this morning. The first is, how are you at loving others? Give yourselves a score out of 10, and if you're bold, shout it out. I heard a four, and a, what was the other thing? It was a five. Three. Then I've done half my job this morning. Vital sign number one. Many of us are in ICU when it comes to loving others. But maybe there's hope. Let's talk about how we're doing with the first one, which is to love God. This may be the shortest point I've ever preached. Here it is. If you want to know how you're doing on vital sign number two, loving God, Look back to vital sign number one, loving people. Point number three now. Did you know that? John, John's going to coach us through love this morning. Then we're going we're gonna to land this because we really want to pray for people because this isn't just something to be known in our heads. This is something to be experienced in our hearts. Glory to God. My iPad has crashed. Yes, I said it, Apple, publicly because it has let me down. Which means we get to have more fun. John, one of Jesus' disciples, said this. If Cleve says he loves God, he is a liar. If he hates his brother, whom he has seen. For how can he love God whom he has not seen? Friends, do you see the desperation of our spiritual state? We start with love for God. Why? With love for people. Why? Because even though love for God becomes first, love for God is easy to fake, isn't it? But John says, no, 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 if you want to know how you're doing on loving God, well, what you should do is ask yourself how you're doing loving people, which is why we go back to point number one, which is why we took so much time on it. How you're doing in being patient, in kindness, in long-suffering, in uh, not keeping a record of wrongs. How are you doing on that? 
and John, I've, I've got to tell you, John, John is a supreme coach on what it means to love one another. John says this, he says that, listen, if you don't love, if a man doesn't love his brother, he doesn't even know God because God is love. And friends, that's what happens with the, the good Samaritan. He shows us what love is. Are you with me in Luke, chapter 15, in Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10 goes like this. It says that uh, a Samaritan, as he traveled came where the man was. Now we've had the priest, we had the Levite, and it was, hey, there's a priest, nay, there's a Levite. And typically the way you'd expect the story to go, like when, when I was growing up in Southern Africa, we had jokes and the joke always went, there was Van der Merwe, there was the Englishman, and there was the Irishman. Not many of you are from Southern Africa. And the way the story goes, well, there's a priest, and there's a Levite. Well, then after that, if they've both failed, the typical hero is a common Jewish man. But then Jesus says, but then the next person to come along is, and they say, yeah, a common Jewish man. They're like, no, 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 it's actually a Samaritan. And at that point, people in the crowd start to murmur. A couple of them start to, to, to boo and, 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 and heckle a little bit. Did he say a Samaritan? See, because in their mind, Samaritans were, weren't proper Jews. They were half Jew and half something else. And not only that, but they were idolatrous worshippers. They were the, the worst religious people because they were supposed to be worshipping the God of Israel, but they'd set up a rival, rival worship centers in northern Israel. These were not good people, and there was animosity between the Jew and between the Samaritan. Calling someone a Samaritan was like swearing at them. And the Samaritans had only made it worse in the recent past of the story being told by going into the temple in Jerusalem around the time of Passover and strewing dead men's bones all across the temple. And the next person to come along is a Samaritan. Know what's going to happen now. He's probably going to ransack that body, get whatever money he can off it, whatever the first robbers didn't leave, and he's going to hightail it out of there like the Samaritan scum that he is. When he saw him, the man lying naked, bruised, beaten, half dead, he took pity on him. That word for took pity on him, it, 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 it comes from a word that talks about someone's deepest, innermost parts. He was moved in the very depth of his being. 
This is compassion in action. This is love in action. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then, I love this, and then he put the man on his own donkey. Which probably means he had to walk. That means that he had to take the posture. He had to take the nature of a servant by putting this Jewish man onto his donkey. And then he goes down to where there's, there's an inn, a, a hotel, motel, and you've you got to understand what's going on here. Is this was a Samaritan in Jewish territory. Samaritans and Jews weren't even supposed to drink from the same cups. If you were a Jew and a Samaritan offered you water, you were supposed to say, no, thank you. And so this Samaritan is carrying a Jew, beaten, bruised, naked, half dead. He's carrying a Jew into Jewish territory. That would be like in the cowboy and Indian movies, an Indian coming into town with a half dead cowboy on his horse. The cowboys in that town might shoot first and ask questions later. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so you don't get the story if you don't understand that this, this Samaritan went into that inn at the risk of his own life. Now, friends, if you want to know what love looks like, this is what love looks like. It's moved with love and compassion. It moves towards the neediest of people around us. And at expense to ourselves, meets their needs. And having done that, it, it, it serves us. It loves us. It, 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 it protects us. And then often at risk to itself, it walks a journey with us. Here's the big idea. Only three things I wanted to say this morning. The first two were designed to show you and I. Our spiritual health when it comes to the most important thing, which is love. Love at a biblical standard. Number one, do you love people? Vital sign number two in terms of your spiritual health check is do you love God? You can see number one. And number three is if, like me, you realize, okay, we need a little bit of work in this area. How can I change? And this is the most important thing you can understand this morning because the, 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 the Samaritan takes him into the inn and he's with him overnight. And then the following morning, he says, he gives the, the, the innkeeper two coins and he says that you use this to look after him. And anything else you spend on top of that, I'll, I'll repay you when I come back. And then Jesus, at the end of that story, turns to the lawyer and he says, now which one of those became a neighbor 
to the man in need. You could hear a pin drop. Everyone, eyes from Jesus onto the expert in the law. The expert in the law, if you read the text, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. <laughs> he says, this, the, 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 the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Friends, how can we change? Well, let me let me start by telling you how you don't change. The way, that, the way that you don't change is by walking out of here with your Bible under your arm and thinking, I've seen how to love now because I've read the story of the Good Samaritan. I've been convicted by 1 Corinthians 13 and seen that I don't love people the way that Paul and the Bible define love. And I've understood that if I don't love people, then I don't love God. And so I'm going to go out there, I'm going to love people. And if I drive past anyone lying on the road, side of the road, I will stop. And when someone says that they, uh, when someone does something horrible to me, I will forgive them. Friends, if that is your battle plan, you will fail because the point of Jesus saying to that man go and do likewise is that human beings outside of supernatural transformation in our hearts from God we cannot do likewise so how can I change and this is this is the most important thing I want you to walk away with this morning the way that you change is not by going out and trying to love more that is not the first step the second step or the third step I'm not saying there's no effort required but what I'm saying is this the way that you change is by becoming a student of the way that God loves you that is the only thing that has the capacity to soften your heart. Those lovey-dovey verses we were talking about, God is love. Written by a guy called John. Let me tell you about John. John's heart needed transformation just like your heart and my heart need transformation. And because of the transformation I see in John, it gives me a little bit more hope for transformation in me. John, do you know what his nickname was? He was nicknamed one of the sons of thunder. How did he get his nickname? We're not exactly sure. It may have been from a time that we read about in Luke chapter 9 when a village came and, and Jesus was loving people and teaching people and wanting to bless people and this village rejected him. And James, the disciple of Jesus, and his brother John went to Jesus and said, Jesus, Shall we call down fire from heaven to consume these people? And Jesus would have said, John, you've got a long way to go. John is patient. Uh-uh. John is kind. Uh-uh. When Jesus was teaching the disciples and pouring his heart out, James, James and John were amongst those saying, okay, that, 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 that's great, but we just got to figure out who's the greatest amongst us. That's what we've got to figure out. James does not boast. James is not proud. Uh-uh. But then the cross happened. That would have been a watershed in John's understanding 
of what all of this is about. And one of the ways that we know that he became a student of the way that God loved him is that John would often refer to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And friends, the way that you and I grow in loving people and grow in loving God, the only way I know of or see in Scripture is to become students of the way he has loved you. If he spoke to John, he said, John, how do you become loving? His answer is right there in First John. He says that we love because he first loved us. So friends, what I'd love us to do is I'd love us to stand together. I'd love us to get ready to receive the love of God. And the band is going to come up and help us because it's often as we are worshiping him and studying him in worship and truths about him that he reveals his love for us. Listen to me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, I believe that that is true, but I don't think that it is the whole truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, we believe the Bible. We believe it in faith. But the Bible also says, like someone thanked God for in worship this morning, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. That friends, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why the subtitle for this morning was CrossFit, because we only get fit spiritually when we look at the cross and we see again God's love for you. Some of you have been carrying this around as head knowledge, but it needs to become something that we are aware of in a fresh way, in an ongoing way. That's why we come here once a week, is to be reminded that God loves us. Friends, He loves you. Someone said that Christianity is a, it's a faith of personal pronouns. Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And friends, Jesus, by his Spirit, wants to meet with you today and for you to receive again in your heart, or for some of us for the first time in our hearts, a love that is so patient, so kind, it's so good. It keeps no record of wrongs. It crosses the road to come towards you. It picks you up and it puts you on his donkey. He looks after you, not just at the risk of his life, 
but he's the true and greatest Samaritan who looked after you at the cost of his life. He paid the ultimate price for you. He died so that you could have eternal life, which is to know God and to know his love, both now and for eternity. So the band's going to lead us in a song. I want to encourage us not to rush through the song, but sing the words or in between the words, just ask God to remind you of his love. He'll bring pictures to your mind. He'll bring scriptures to your mind. Some of those you may want to share, feel free to come up and speak to Chris and Daniela doing a great job leading this meeting. But some of them will just be for you. They'll just be your father speaking to you and saying again, I love you. And when he speaks, it's not just head knowledge, but it's heart knowledge. It affects the spirit, soul, heart, and mind. So let's just open ourselves to his love this morning. It's the most spiritually fit thing that we can do. Let's worship him together.